Welcome to episode 25 of the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I'm Andrew Whaley. Uh, today we're going to talk about good taste, bad taste. Is that what we're going to talk about? <laughs> kind of like thing one and thing two. <laughs> good taste, bad taste. Uh, one fish, red fish. Good taste, bad taste. <laughs> I have no I idea what I, we're talking about I didn't right now. Quite get it. One fish, two fish, red fish. Okay, we're going to talk about yeah. the nature of artisan work, about the end product of artisan work, and what that is, and is it the same as art? You could, you could also label this episode something like "Don't put Sprite in your fine yeah. wine," or "Don't put ketchup on your filet mignon." Yeah, and don't put cream and sugar in the beautiful manually brewed coffee that I just made for you if you come in my bar. Because <laughs> Andrew will literally leap over the counter and steal the cream from your hand. So look, there's the thing. Before you're that, able to pour it into your cup. Everybody has had this experience of, you know, you know, there's something that's amazing that's a very particular thing, but you don't have an experience with it. So you put it into a category based on its similarities with something that you do have an experience with. And then you treat it like that. And being as I've been in the coffee business for 23 years, it does not matter if I make someone this beautiful coffee that I've dosed ground and manually brewed just by hand with all this specialized equipment. And this is the coffee equivalent of a glass of fine wine I'd say 30, 40% of the people in America will immediately put cream and sugar in it because that's how they take their coffee. And I claim that's the equivalent of someone handing you a 1984 Chateau Petrus. Well, what do you do when somebody just says that you're snooty? I'm fine with being snooty. I mean, it's kind of like people at opera, you know, who don't want the opera to use microphones, right? Because that's not, not as pure as true opera where they don't use microphones, that kind of thing. I have no opinion on that. I... Can know nothing about opera. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's like that, maybe it's not. The, the point being is that, so here, is there, there's an old Latin phrase, de gustibus non disputandum est, which means about matters of taste, about things of taste, there's no disputing. So basically saying you can't argue about taste. Right, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right, and so then, but here's the thing, is that especially theologically, we think that the three great transcendentals, the true, the good, and the beautiful, right? Which are all brought together in this glass. Oh, we need to talk about what we're drinking Yeah, first. what are we drinking, Andrew? This okay. is the weirdest thing I've ever drinking, but it's incredibly good. Isn't this delicious? I've been wanting, I've been craving this so bad. Okay, Adelweiss. so. <laughs> it is. It is from that area, yeah. right? Adelweiss. It's, okay. Okay, so I recently, a few months ago, did a cons- had a consulting gig and I had to go over to Austria. So I went to the International Theological Institute in Gaming, Austria, and um, right outside Vienna in Trumau. Shout out to Trumau and ITI. And um, was in, in this small village in Austria for 10 days. And it was in the spring, and there's trees, bushes, trees everywhere that are elderflowers. They're elderberry trees. And the elder flowers, the flowers of this tree were all coming out. And at that time of year, everyone gets all these flowers and the Hollanderblüten in German. So they get this Hollanderblüten flower and they, and they, the, these flowers and they, um, they soak them overnight and then they make a simple syrup out of that water and they mix it with soda and make a sparkling soda. So what we are drinking is a soda made out of San Pellegrino and Hollanderblüten syrup, elder flower syrup. 
So I got this at Ikea. If I finally found somebody who sells it in America and they sell it at Ikea and you put a one part to six parts of syrup to, um, we kind of eyeballed it, but it tastes pretty good. It does taste good. And I made myself sick on this in Austria. I had never tasted it I'm before. To explain what it tastes like. I mean, it sort of smells like honey. It's like honey flowers, but kind of a light berry thing at the same time. So it's not exactly like a tea based on the flowers. More you make a you 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 make a um, like grow it'd be the equivalent of like rose water. Okay? So you sort of mix it with water and then reduce it and then add sugar. I don't know if you reduce it or not. Maybe you just you, you soak the flower first. You get these little black bugs off the flowers, which you have a certain method of doing, and then you soak these flowers in the wa- in a certain amount of water overnight, and then you mix that water with equal parts uh, sugar. And then you cook that down into a simple syrup. Hmm. And then you mix it one to six in this ratio. I don't know. Maybe if you make stronger, weaker syrup. Is there – do you add sugar or is there sugar in the flowers? No, you add sugar. You add sugar. You use the – you flavor the water with the flowers and then you make a simple syrup, which is usually one part water, one part sugar, and then you boil it. Well – it's and pretty it's, good. It's delicious, is it not? Yeah, it's pretty darn good. So I should have brought a second bottle of Pellegrino down because I want another glass now. <laughs> I would recommend drinking this if you ever have the opportunity. And you can get it at Ikea. Ikea has it. it they call it um, Stofflader. I guess that's – it's. they do it all over Europe, I guess. So it must be more of a Nord- – this is the Nordic version of it. Um, it's elderflower drink from Concentrate. Now, is it always the same color? It's kind of like light yellow color? Yeah, yeah. So, so five bucks for a big old bottle of it for sixteen point nine fluid, a five hundred milliliter bottle at IKEA is five bucks, I think, mm-hmm. and that will make. Um, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of stuff. that um, that soda you made with the cascara. It does kind of remind you of that, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, that makes me want to do the cascara soda again now. You should offer that as a special drink on your menu. I think I'm going to put these bu- – maybe I'll wait till spring. I'll put this – when the elderflowers are coming out, I'll put this on the menu. Mm. Maybe in, it's getting cold, so I'm, I'm going to drag out the um, – The pumpkin spice whatever. Uh, if I have pumpkin to. Pumpkin spice latte. Yes, I will because the, the entire world will be doing – eggnog will come later. But I will be bringing out the dark brown sugar rosemary latte again. That was really good. I, I think you can do more than one special drink at a time. I can, yeah. yeah. I'll I do think, the. I think you should do the cascara thing. I think people will get like it. Okay, I'll do it. Cascara it is. All right, so we're going to do. If they don't like it, you can blame me. Okay, so. But anyway, starting next weekend, Total Legend Coffee Bar Cascara. Now that we're drinking a glass, where the true, the good, and the beautiful all come together in one place. Right, right, right. Um, not that we're drinking the glass; we're drinking from a glass. Right, where where these things meet. How does how do those things meet in? Other arenas. I mean, I'm just, you know, your your experience of excoriating me for ordering decaf coffee or or pouncing on customers <laughs> for putting cream in their beautiful manually brewed Ethiopian Yergeshev coffee uh, is very similar to a story I remember about a certain person at a restaurant. This was not me, uh, but someone known to me who, uh, you know, it was a very fancy restaurant. He was very wealthy. He was more, you know, uh, and uh, he, I think it was a French restaurant, and he asked the waiter for ketchup. Right. Right, to put on his extremely fancy, super well-prepared by a chef French food. 
when the chef heard about it, he actually came out of the kitchen and mm-hmm. confronted him at the table and uh, uh, told him what's what about right. French food and how ketchup does not belong on it. You're defacing a painting, basically. <laughs> An artisan views what he does as a, spe- as a so species you're basically of... coming into the Louvre with a paintball gun, right? Just, you know, letting loose, right? Right. That's, it's it's, it's that's he, what's going on. Look, this guy works hard at this, right? He does this. He's carefully balanced these flavors. It's it's so huge. It's so hard. And then someone goes, "That's basically someone spitting in your face and going, look, I'm a simple man. I don't acknowledge your work. I don't care.'" I don't. I don't respect your work at and all. I have more money than you. Do. And I have more money than you. So by God, I'm gonna put whatever I want on it. Yeah. I'm gonna, if I want to, I'm gonna buy this. I'm gonna buy this Van Gogh and I'm gonna cut it in half and I'm gonna make some modern art out of it because that's what my daughter likes. And I've got money. Yeah. We'd be offended by that. It's a Van Gogh. We meaning the artisan class. The the world would be offended See, by a guy buying an, a Van Gogh and cutting it in half to make it into a collage because his daughter well, likes I think, collage. I mean, uh, no, this is really really helpful and important to have this discussion because I think that in a lot of arenas that kind of artisan mentality has broken down. So uh, what I mean is that um, I think the idea of masterpieces yeah. or having great works of art persists. Yeah. But the idea that uh, a blue-collar worker who builds houses as an artisan has mm. broken down. So it used to be, I, I think, I mean, if you just look at the architecture, you can sort of see this, mm-hmm. that if you became very skilled at something like plasterwork or bricklaying or even just regular um, carpentry, mm. there, was a, there was an art that went into it. And there was a sense in the worker himself, right, that I am something of an artisan, right? And there are different degrees of this. Right, right. But when you see beautiful brickwork, you know that that wasn't just because some architect or some homeowner wanted that, but it was because there was an artisan who believed in his craft, who was willing to put in the time, the effort, and the, and the art to well, make it beautiful. We've lowered everything to the lowest common denominator. Right. I mean, the, we did that. I mean, look at um, the reason he wants to put the ketchup on the, the, the French food is because everything's McDonald's to him. doesn't matter how much money he has. It's just all McDonald's. It's all been commodified. It's all been commodified. It's just food, and food can is we, something that can I can... Can we talk about commodification? Because I don't sure. think everybody knows what that is. I, I just learned more about it in the past like week or two, and it was helpful. It's a great way to look at the coffee thing, too, for sure. Sure. So, so commodification is basically an economic phenomenon, right, mm-hmm. where... Uh, all values get reduced to price. Right. Um, so it's kind of like the Walmart approach to the whole world, right? That if you can make it cheaper, uh, then that's better. Uh, so, or Amazon.com is kind of the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Sell everything more cheaply than everybody else does, undercut everybody. Well, right? no, I mean, I think better a better understanding of commodification would be um, – it's just when you lower everything to where everything is just exactly the same and the only thing that distinguishes it is convenience and price. So hamburger. Okay, it's just hamburger. It's 80-20, hamburger, fine. Whatever's cheapest I'm going to get. Now, that's not true though. Because what if it's got a bunch of antibiotics in it? What if it's this? What if it's been grass-fed? Right. It's organic. organic. What if it's organic and it's grass fed? What if it's, you know, these different things? But and so now there's a decommodification. A good example. I remember I'm I'm old enough to have been drinking beer 
when the, uh, the, 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 the craft beer thing started. And I was living in a small town in Missouri, and I can remember people going, seeing Sam Adams, Boston Lager, and they're going, how much for a beer? Right. It's just beer. Right. It's just it's beer. It's just beer. No one's going to – no, I don't want to fa- – it's just beer. Now, their mindset of beer was watered-down German Pilsners and watered-down lagers, and they thought that's what beer was. Right. In reality, there's a whole history. Right, beer had been commodified. Com- commodified into. And, you know, people had their brands, but Bud Light, Bud, doesn't matter for Schlitz, Falstaff. I mean, it all tastes roughly the same, right? Miller, Miller Light tastes a little more watered down. Okay, fine. But this is something different, right? Well, I think we won 33 microbreweries in Fort Collins alone. Sure. Right. Well, so, especially in the state of Colorado, which has, right. I we think have, it's over 200 breweries. It's, it's, and now this is happening. That had already happened with wine again, finally, in well, America. Well, it's ironic, too, because Coors is headquartered here in Colorado. Right. And so then – so what's happened there, things like um, coffee. People are like, oh, come on. It's just coffee. I just want, I just want to – everyone in this – even when they're ordering especially drinks, I've noticed that in every bar I've ran, and that happens in the one I run now, People, doesn't matter what they order. They say, I just want, can I just get a, I just need a, I'll just have a, just. A just so that's, a, that's because of commodification. They, th- they think that this is just, I just want a latte. Now, what's funny is when they get with Starbucks having gotten, they're like, I just want a double tall latte, half calf, half soy. And they have this very specific drink, but in their mind, they're just ordering a very normal thing. Right, so people have to. I think Americans have to commo- convince themselves that what they like is a commodity, so that they can feel okay about enjoying it. <laughs> it's like so. Even when they're ordering a very specific version of kind of a fancy drink, they speak about it in the way we speak about commodities, hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. Right? It's interesting. It's almost kind of a fake humility or something, or it's kind of like Lewis talk. It's also like Lewis and the Screwtape. Or maybe it's just one of your pet peeves. It is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> but so now. There's coffee and then there's coffee. I mean, they're, they're, it's become a right. There's a difference between Folgers and artisan roasted, hand packed coffee. You know. Well, I mean, if you order, if you order a, um, just go to Starbucks and get whatever blend they're making that day. Versus you come into the shop and you and you ask me. I have right now Volcan Panama Carmen Estate. Um, one's a natural process and one's wash process. Two, same being two different wash, two different uh, uh, preparation techniques, two different um, um, ways of preparing the coffee in, on the plantation on the farm, right? And and it's roasted by Commonwealth Coffee here in town, right? And they taste very different, right? And if you go through all that trouble and pick this particular few thousand square feet of hillside in Panama. This coffee, it's like ordering a glass of wine off of a menu. Now, no one would go to a wine bar, sit and talk to a sommelier, pick this particular cab, and then put Sprite and ice in it. But that's the, because it's just it was just coffee. That's how I take my coffee, right? It's still commodified. Even if we want to try to try something different, we still approach it like a commodity, right? And... um. So okay, to get back to the whole house building analogy, then I think this is this is interesting, right? So if you had this uh, artisan mindset in builders, especially during the arts and crafts movement in the early twentieth century, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the whole bungalow thing, 
Right nowadays, houses have been commodified. Mm-hmm. Right, so builders um, will buy one lot and turn it and put six houses on it, mm-hmm. um, and they use cheap chip cheap chipboard uh, to build those houses. They use very uh, efficient and quick techniques of building. Yeah, there's uh, they use drywall, not plaster. They don't use much brick, and if they do use brick, it's only a facade. It's not structural. Um, and you know you put in granite countertops because people like that, right? That's that's a commodity. Right. Um, but it doesn't seem like the same artisan mindset is at work that used to be no. in domestic. No, I cur- I currently live in a house that was built around the turn of the century. Yeah. And it's got some of that 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 cr- that craftsman stuff, and it's got a lot of built-ins. Sure. And stuff. I tell you, the, my favorite house I ever lived in was in Fillmore, California. It was owned by my friend Justin and. It was a four. It was big for a bungalow, but it was a four bedroom craftsman bungalow, and it was one of the original. Like it could be on the tour, like yeah. when they go around looking at craftsman stuff. This was a case study house almost. I mean, it was. Right. It was every trope, all the built in bookshelves, the book you built in hutch, the built in mantle over the fireplace. I mean, everything was built ins. It was so craftsman. It was all little craftsman tropes were there, and I loved that house. It was one of the most comfortable, most. Sure. Home-like, kind of Shire-like houses. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's like, kind of like the difference between getting a pie in the frozen food section at your grocery store and heating it up in your oven, right? Versus having your mother bake a pie, right? Great example. There's love in the pie, you know. Okay, you when go your to mom makes it. Right. Here's a great example. You go down to Pizza Hut and you order the Meat Lovers Pizza because it's on sale or right now. Oh, they got the special one now where they're putting the cheese in the crust, which is probably because the the dairy lobby talked them into doing that. So, or you go to San Francisco, you go to Una Pizza Napolitana. You can check this out, unapizza.com. And you see Anthony Mangieri with his 900-degree oven with a certain kind of wood and all this stuff imported from Italy. And this mozzarella de bufala made that afternoon. And they're open from 5 p.m. to the fresh dough runs out. And there's four pies, no exception, no substitutions. And there's a line around the corner enough to fill the restaurant three times when they open. And he doesn't care. No. Can I, hey, can I get that without the no? Can I get the extra no? There's a salt shaker on the table. That's the only concession the man makes. And people line up and they watch him work with these same seven ingredients mixing the different versions. Yeah, I mean, but this is like, It's beautiful. This, it's, it is beautiful, but it's for one percenters, right? You have one percenter tastes. No, it's 20 bucks. I mean, it's an expensive pie, but people drop 20 bucks on a... To split a pie, I mean, it's like it's not—it's twenty bucks plus some nice water. Okay, it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's not right. hundred dollars or something. Right? No, it's—I mean, there's fancy, and then there's just—you can go get that same thing where you go to some little hole in the wall, you know, pho place over on Federal, and they sure. just make these three different bowls of noodles, and that's all they do. And no, you can't not get the fish sauce in it because this is how we make it, right? And there's a line. Right, because it's it's real, it's normal. It it it, it reflects a, a context and a, and a collection of wisdom up to a certain point, right? So, but let's pull back a little bit. We're gonna watch that movie about the sushi guy. I oh, am, yeah. Hero dreams, heroes dreams of sushi is or I don't remember the name of it. Yeah, I tell you what, I've been really loving here lately. Speaking of watching films about food and stuff, PBS did a series. 
and it's narrated by Anthony Bourdain. I've only watched the first six of them, I think. It's on Netflix now, and a bunch of people I know has been watching it. It's called The Mind of a Chef. And David Chang from Mama Fuko, Mama Fuko Grill, Mama Fuko Noodle Bar, Mama Fuko Milk Bar in, in, in New York. David Chang is the they follow him in all his crazy adventures and experiments and stuff. And man, is it spectacular! Man, I, I, the mind of a chef. Go tee that one up and watch it. So really good. Uh, so, I, what does good taste and bad taste boil down to? I mean, is it really like commodification versus art? Is that really what it is? Exactly, art, or is it more complex? I mean, if you go back to Aristotle, the idea of I mean, that was kind of a disrespect to artists. He, art people who made statues and made paintings were artisans. They they are they the, the end of their action is an artifact, right? So then somewhere. Then you go through the time of icons and all this, and somewhere along the lines of the Renaissance, maybe. But even then, I mean, these guys like Michelangelo, they're doing these amazing works, but they got a crew working under them, and they're working on a contract. And it's, it's still, it's later on that you get this huge elevation of the fine arts, and they are completely different, and they are on this pedestal. Well, I think, I mean, part of it might be the result of the Industrial Revolution. Right. Right. And the kind of commodification of everything. Right. Right. Especially mass production. Right. right. Where you, and and uh, what do they call them? Replaceable parts or whatever. Um, you know, in that it used to be that if you wanted, say, a musket, mm-hmm. right, you went to the musket maker and right. put in your order and he made a custom musket just for you. Right. If you wanted shoes, he went to the shoemaker and the- got custom shoes just for you. And now, you know, no, almost nobody has custom anything. Right. Now, Everything is off the rack. You know what's funny, though, is that at a, a couple hundred years ago, if you wanted a suit, you went and you bought fabric and right. you took it to the tailor. Right. And the tailor made you a suit. Right. It's funny. Buying off the rack was actually what, something that the richer people did. <laughs> and then they would get it adjusted. But sure. the, the people who were poor would buy fabric and have it made, yeah. which is it's totally flipped now. But there's a great example. You can go buy a suit, and I've got a couple of suits. One of them fits me like a glove, and it's, I look good in it, and it's fine. But, man, if you've ever put a suit on that was made for you, I mean, it hangs on you perfectly, right. and you feel so much different. and you it, it doesn't bind. It's like all the things that you think are normal about a suit, like you can't raise your arm, you can't. It's just it's built for you, and it fits, and it's like it's real. Shoes the same way. I mean, we're so used to getting close enough on these things, right? But and now people used to buy something, and then they would keep those dress shoes. You'd be buried in them. Once you were full size, you'd buy a pair of great dress shoes. You'd have them resold. You'd have them fixed, and you'd be, you'd, you'd be buried in those shoes. But now we just swap them out, swap them out, swap them out, right? Well, yeah, everything's disposable. Right, and so this commodification, disposability, this the, the banality, and kind of this, um, how to say it, kind of a castigation of uh, noticing the difference when you see this kind of snobbery. You know, that's a, oh, you care about this pizza. Oh, you're just a snob. Okay, okay. Right? So, so maybe we can boil this down to practica- practical things. What are, say, three things that we can do to move from having commodified bad taste toward good taste? A, cook. And only eat what you cook. 
So stop eating crazy processed foods. If it comes in a box and it has things in it you can't pronounce, don't eat it. Because then you'll start to remember what food tastes like. And if you and then you want you stop drowning it in processed sugar or hot sauce or hot sauce. Well, I love hot sauce, especially sriracha. But but that's that you know. But it comes in a bottle and has things in it. You can no, produce. yeah, and I actually I'm getting ready to start making my own sriracha oh, because it's okay. got too many weird chemicals. I'm in sure it. it has all kinds of stuff. There's a there's, nom nom paleo. I think it is has a great recipe for paleo sriracha, and. And sriracha is a, a type of sauce. It's not a brand. That hung, hung haifeng or whatever is the one that we always think of with the rooster on the bottle. But yeah. that's actually a style of sauce, a sriracha sauce. Um, okay, so cook so your that, own food cook and use real ingredients. Yeah, I would say um, buy something or look at something or enjoy something that has been made by hand. Something. Okay. Right. Interesting point in this, right? Um, there's a big difference between looking at art on the internet or in a book versus, oh, man. versus going and seeing it for real. I'm so guilty of this too. I live in a city with a bunch of great museums, and I never go look at art. Yeah, but I mean, galleries so, but walking I just, distance. I, from I, I, I honestly, I mean, I experience the visual. It's like when I stand in front of a real painting and I look <laughs> at it in the flesh. I experience something different than when I look at a picture of the same painting. It's so weird. I can't even describe it because I can't necessarily tell a huge difference. No, when you when you I have had the experience of seeing a painting on the internet, seeing it in libraries and in, in, in a book, and then you go into a, a museum and you see that actual painting, and it's just there's no way to describe the difference. I mean, I mean a mean, lot of times, you know, it's a much larger format. You know, right. like might be a yeah. I didn't know if that was that big, or I I thought that thing was huge and it's a little small painting actually. Right. But there's something different about seeing a painting in the flesh. Okay, so see something beautiful. So cook right. your own food, see something beautiful. What else? Uh, go listen to some live music, maybe. That's a good. That's a good one. I mean, I think that anytime you consume or participate in something that someone else does well, think about it in terms of what you do well. Like a while ago, I was talking to um, people in the cafe, one, one, at least one of them is a writer. And they asked me, they were joking because I made them some coffee even though we were closed. And I made them that, uh, that beautiful Panama that we were just talking about in that French press. And he said, oh, why? he goes, are you going to be offended if I put cream and sugar in this? And I said, well, taste my steak before you see if it needs ketchup on it. And they started laughing. And I'm like, look, what if... What if we demanded of all writers that they make all their books choose your own adventure books? Because I want to have choices and I want to do with this narrative whatever I want to do with it. Well, no, I'm an I'm an artist. I'm a writer. No, I should be able to remix all of your songs and then re-release them and call them that. Well, no, because I made that song, right? Then why in the world would you put ketchup all over my pizza? <laughs> right? That's, but that in our culture, food and drink are not considered art, right? And we've elevated the fine arts, right? So I would say, just look at when someone you're going to interact with something that someone else made. Look at it through the lens of something that you make well, right. and, and 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 you have a certain amount of humility to go. Oh, let me try to understand why this person who this is their life. Why did they do this? All right. So, so why pra- do they do it this way? So practical things we can do to move from bad taste to good taste. 
Cook your own food using real ingredients. I am not. Gonna, I don't know if I'm going to stand on these. This would be go, the three. Go, you know? go look at some real art in the flesh. Listen to some real. Music. Listen to some real music played by real life human beings, not just. I think that's a good, good place to start. It is a great place to start, you know. And I think that, uh, I think that the 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 beauty of human creativity can can imbue a lot of arenas from which it's been excised. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that maybe that's part of where our culture needs to go, right? Is away from the over-commodification and right. over-efficiency of everything right. back toward a more human approach mm-hmm. that incorporates beauty at, in the context of function. And maybe, you know what, maybe there'll come a time when there'll be two people having whatever the podcast evolves into later, and they'll go, remember whenever people used used to go to a computer store and they would build you a computer? Yeah. You know, now, you know, everything is Apple and whatever takes Apple's place by then or whatever, you know. But I can remember when you used to have someone build you. A friend of mine had our I had friend. a computer built. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. had computers built. And that you could get a nicer computer with better components that in a lot of ways that for a cheaper price. And you, and you could have, you know, a lot of options. And this person could build something beautiful. And so maybe it's not just Luddite. Right. It's not just saying, oh, I mean, it's a difference between paying a graphic designer, maybe they're using a computer, to create you a real logo, sit down and talk to them, pay them what they're worth to create a logo for your company versus just going to one of those logo factories online and pumping something out and combining a bunch of stuff and coming up with something that'll work, right? You know, there's there's something to be said. There's a certain humility how to say it? There's a certain passive relationship that is kind of a, a quasi humility we have towards nature. That I think that there's an analog to that in the way that we look at what other people do when they mix nature together in a way that kind of and they mix their wisdom and their understanding with it, like in art or artisan, you know, artifacts of different kinds. I think there's something analogous to the way that we should be supple towards nature in that way. And I think that we've become. Um, I think it'd be. I think that's why it's healthy to have the humility to go. Oh man, you make you worked your butt off and made this pizza restaurant and moved it from Brook, Brooklyn and picked out this oven and had it built. And maybe I should just try your pizza the way you made it instead of trying to whip it into the form that what I do to my Pizza Hut pizza so that it's familiar to me. Right. That's a yeah. That's a. All right, so we don't or know, I'm a snob. <laughs> we don't know whether you're a snob or not, or whether you're putting cream in your uh, manual brewed coffee or putting ketchup on your filet mignon. But whether you have good taste or bad taste, you have arrived at the end of another episode of the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I am the snob, Andrew Whaley.